Uh, let me read to us today our scripture. It comes from James 1, uh, 22 to 27. Let's all rise to our feet for those that are able to. I'm going to read to us our scripture. Say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond, thanks be to God, and then I'll seat you. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Uh, I want to begin just by asking a question, and the question is this. Uh, when was the last time uh, you were on fire for God? Right, when was the last time that you just had this passionate faith for God? Like when you heard that story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, go sell all your possessions and follow me. Uh, you were in that place where it was like, hey, I'm that rich young ruler, and I'm not going to turn away like he did. Right? He turned away. We all know that story. But I'm going to give up everything, and I'm going to follow him. When was that last time that you had such a faith like that? You know, for me, it was when I was in college. I was leading a small group of about 10 brothers. Uh, some of them still actually come to our church. Uh, we grew up in the church, got saved uh, in middle school, high school, uh, kind of the uh, traditional Asian-American story. Those of you who are kind of grew up in the Korean-American church specifically, uh, that's kind of the time you go to a retreat. Uh, so we were doing the motions of church, but we were just kind of like, okay, that's it. That's all we're doing. We're just talking about the Bible, but we're not really doing anything. And so one of the guys had an idea. He's like, hey, let's go serve the poor. Let's, you know, get these sandwiches so, and let's just pass them out. And so we got 500 sandwiches from Costco. Uh, we were college kids, so they were like peanut butter jelly, and then it was like bologna. It was like not great sandwiches. And we had this grand plan. And like, we're going to just pass out these sandwiches. Yeah, we're going to live for Jesus, right? But that plan was an utter fail. And it's because of this. We went out, uh, I believe it's like a Thursday at 6 p.m. to downtown Seattle. And when we went there, there was no homeless people on the streets. Like we had 500 sandwiches, but no one to give it out to. And so what we ended up happening is we just actually put it in front of, I think, one of the, uh, the homeless shelter like doors. And they were just like, oh, well, you know, we tried like, oh, man. But we were still so, you know, kind of jazzed up because we really wanted to live out our faith. Right, it wasn't a success, but that was a moment in my life uh, when I just was just so on fire for God. Now, when was it for you? You know, maybe you've been coming to church for many years, just kind of going through the motions, hearing the Sunday message, going to a community group, worshiping, doing all the right things. But is your faith on fire? You know, today, uh, James actually, actually has something to say about this. If you want to go deeper in your faith, Listen in. And what I really like about James is he actually offers us a painkiller solution. And what I mean is this. How many of you guys, does anyone take uh, vitamins here? Anybody? Nobody? All right. People are timidly raising their hands because they know it's a marketing ploy, right? Questionable at best. Well, you can argue that. But 
You know, the, the, when I mention a painkiller is with, with vitamins, you've got to kind of convince somebody to take vitamins. Like, oh, it's going to be good for you. You know, 3,000% of vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, and the list goes on. But when somebody's in pain and they need a painkiller, you don't have to convince them at all. Like, they have that headache. They're, they're going to be looking for that painkiller. And what I really like about the book of James is he's very practical and he offers us a painkiller practical solution on what it looks like to have a deep faith, a faith that's on fire, a faith that's alive and that's passionate for Jesus. And so if you're in that place where you just feel, hey man, my faith is really dry, like listen in today. So there's three points if you're taking notes. Three points. The first point is the command. The second point is the cost. And the third point uh, is the carrot. I really tried on that third point, <laughs> just three Cs, but the command, the cost, the carrot, I'll explain uh, later on. Uh, the first point is the command of our passage. And the first point is from verse 22, and it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Right? Don't just hear what the Bible has to say, but do it. If you want to have a passionate, fiery faith, it requires action. And then James kind of actually breaks it off into kind of what kind of action that looks like. And this is not an exhaustive list, but in verse 26 and 27, he actually says this, and I'm going to read this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To summarize, bridle your tongue, visit orphans and, their, and orphans and widows in their affliction, and keep oneself unstained uh, from the world. Right, kind of three commandments, and we're going to break that apart. And the first is uh, bridling your tongue. And what does that mean? It means control your speech. Right, don't gossip. You know, Pastor Eric talked about this last week. What I think is interesting is that of all the kind of commands that James could have chosen, he chose speech. Right? What about murder? What about adultery? And, and I think he chose this because we know speech is just such a powerful thing, isn't it? Right? It can inspire people to be generous, to be kind. It can also incite fear, cause people to hate one another. Right? I don't think I need to explain too much, but one study that I found that was very fascinating is there was two groups of people uh, playing the same game. Uh, but one of the groups, they were told, hey, this game is called Wall Street. And they, the, the instructions, they just used the word Wall Street like, three times. And then the next game, they called it community. And they use, you know, the word community and the instructions were exactly the same. And yet what they found was that the people that played that Wall Street game, they only gave one third of their possessions away. It's kind of a resource game. And yet the people that played the community game, they gave away over two thirds. But just by the simple tweaking of language, speech is so important. It says you should be careful and you should bridle your tongue. And if you want to have a passionate faith, you need to be careful what you say. Don't gossip. Paul actually equates gossiping in Romans 1.29 to what? To evil. It says, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. He says they're the same. So that's one aspect, that's one command. Uh, but I think there's a second part of this bridling the tongue that actually resonates with me a little bit more. And it's this. It's if you say you're a Christian, act like one. Right? Talking the talk, walking the walk. Right? Don't just say you're a Christian, act like one. Right? We all know those people that just, they just have a lot of talk, right? They call them, uh, what is it, uh, all sizzle, no steak. You guys know what I'm talking about? 
Uh, all foam, no beer? No, I don't, I don't drink either, yeah. Let's just move on. Well, in ancient times, it's the same thing. In ancient times, they taught in a public area. People heard the word of God, and, and James knows that this is happening. But what happened is people heard the word of God, say, hey, I'm a Christian, but they didn't act upon it, right? They just continued to live their same life. You know, Soren Kierkegaard, he's a uh, Danish theologian, and he, tr- he coined the term leap of faith. You guys ever hear of that? Leap of faith? And it actually comes from uh, his experience. So uh, he, he's from Denmark, and it was a Christian nation at the time. And what he noticed was that people were just kind of calling themselves Christians without really living it out. It's kind of like modern America today. And he says this, and we're going to put this on the screen. It says, today's Christianity is a matter of being elevated for an hour once a week, just as in the theater, it is now used to hearing everything without having the remotest notion of doing something. And he actually describes it. Saying that you're a Christian is the same thing as saying that you're from Denmark. Like saying, hey, I'm a Christian, is the same thing as saying I'm from America. He saw that Christianity had little power and no life, took no risks. It was a Christianity of knowing but not doing. You see, if you want real faith, if you want a passionate faith, you can't just say you're a Christian. You've got to live like one. If you're just listening to the word of God each week, if you're just reading scriptures and you're not acting upon it, James says, you're like a man who looks in the mirror, right? He continues on. And he looks in the mirror and he forgets his face. Right? What's that mirror? It's the word of God. It's scriptures. But if you're not being impacted, you're forgetting you know, what it's all about. And he goes on in verse 26 and 22, and he says, this kind of religion is actually worthless. It's worthless. In fact, in fact, if you keep reading, it says, you're actually deceiving yourself because when you do all these things, right, you look holy, you're coming to church, right, you're reading the Bible, but if it's not impacting you externally, if you're not doing anything externally, and it's just impacting you internally, then he says, that faith that religion is worthless, and you're in fact deceiving yourselves. You know, last week, uh, Pastor Eric talked about um, Stephen Yoon and um, I think it's Justin Min, right? You guys kind of recall? Uh, and he kind of knows them, I think, a little bit. He played basketball with them and whatnot. And so I, I started thinking, I was like, oh yeah, Stephen Yoon. Uh, you guys ever watched the um, Netflix show Beef? You guys know? Yeah, some of you guys nodding your head. Yeah, it, you know, I'll summarize it. I Googled it. I'll tell you, this is what it says. Uh, there's a Netflix show called Beef. It stars Steven Yoon and Ali Wong, who are two strangers, and after a road rage incident, it escalates into a prolonged feud. It goes on for like eight to nine episodes. <laughs> like, it's just this prolonged feud. Um, but Steven Yoon, uh, in the show, uh, plays this Korean-American character named Danny. And there's actually a couple scenes that really uh, resonated with me, and it's actually, uh, there's a scene uh, within the church, right? They're worshiping, and they're singing Amazing Grace. And uh, it struck me because they got this scene so accurately, right? I was like, man, that was me. Like, he was, like, so passionate, raising his hands, doing all these things. And actually, in fact, I think uh, Pastor Dag knows some of the players. We had actually uh, Jason Min come and speak, and I think he was leading worship in the episodes. Uh, and I was like, man, this is, like, too real. <laughs> it was, like, very surreal. But what actually struck me even more was what happened next after these worship sessions. You see, Danny, Stephen Yoon, was so passionate. And yet, immediately afterwards, he just went back to his old life. Right? And, and I think it struck me because that was all too real. And it convicted me because I was like, that, that's me. I was like, I was ashamed. I was like, that is me. Like how many times, 
Like, was I preaching and was I, you know, singing the songs, lifting my hands on a Sunday? But then Monday through Saturday, I was just doing the same old things, not acting the faith that I was preaching about. I was so convicted. And that was my conviction this past week. And so the question I want to ask you, the question that I'm asking myself is, what is God asking you to do this week? How is he asking you to live out your faith? If it's just intellect, if you're just absorbing this information, you're not going to have a passionate faith. You need to live it out. That's the first command of bridling your tongue. The second one is this. It's visit widows and orphans in their affliction. Verse 27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You know, widows and orphans uh, back then, they were the lowest of the lows. They were unseen in society. Uh, you know, they actually had nothing. If their family didn't provide for them, they would have literally nothing. And it was the same for the orphans. And I think it's interesting that it's mentioned here, that James mentions this, but it's actually very telling and very encouraging for me because what it's saying is that God actually really cares uh, for the lowest of the low in society, right? There's a direct correlation. Like, you know, we are to serve them. And why is he asking us that? Because he cares for them. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, he actually goes into great detail on how we're supposed to serve uh, the widows. And he gives actually a lot of instructions, but I want to highlight just one verse. And it says this in verse 3 of uh, 1 Timothy 5. It says, honor widows who are truly widows. Honor them, acknowledge them. And if you keep reading on, Paul says, if you don't provide for them, if you don't do this, he has denied the faith. He's denied the faith. And so the question you should ask is, who are the widows and orphans in our world today? And what are you doing to honor them? What are you doing to acknowledge them? You know, there's so much pain and suffering in the world, right? And you might be thinking, I don't even know where to start. And I challenge you, just start somewhere. It doesn't take very much. Our world uh, has changed so much over the last 2,000 years, but one thing that didn't change is we still have poverty. We still have a ton of social problems. There's so many people that need help. And I want to encourage you because uh, I've been just encouraged over the past few weeks because uh, some of you guys are actually stepping up to really minister to the widows and orphans. You know, we had Jason and Yena talk about Canoeen. Uh, we have a, a group going to Mexico uh, just to really help out those that are kind of uh, struggling. Uh, we have our, uh, you know, they, they title themselves the AARP group, uh, which is kind of our older congregation. Uh, but they are, uh, I want to kind of rebrand them as uh, Young at Heart the Young at Heart group, right? They still got life. Uh, they actually go on a lot of mission trips and they just text me like, hey, can you pray for us? They're actually away right now and they're coming back tomorrow and they're just like, hey, can you just pray for us? Uh, and they do it very quietly. Uh, this past week, uh, we had a brother named uh, Pete Yu. He's actually a coordinator for uh, people that are disabled and uh, he just kind of called me. Uh, he, we've been kind of texting back and forth, but he called me and said, hey, uh, we have somebody that kind of needs to do volunteer hours. This will really help them uh, socially, but also we want to prepare them to get uh, him a job. And so he brought this guy over on a Tuesday, uh, and he just came, and he really did simple tasks like just clean things for like 15 minutes. Uh, and, and clearly, you know, he, he was a person that was struggling with different things. Uh, and then during that conversation, like, Peter was like, man, this is like successful. Like, this is great. He wouldn't even get out of bed. Like, but he's like doing these things. And then, uh, you know, Pete just shared this story. He showed me this picture of this girl who got a job at uh, TJ Maxx, and she's just smiling. And he was like, you see this girl? Like, this is the reason why I do this. Like, she, this is her first day at work. 
Like her parents could not believe that she would get a job. Like this was like out of their, their world. Like they were so happy. And this is a way that he's serving them. And I was like, Pete, like this is amazing. Like what can we do as a church? And he's like, we'll just continue to acknowledge them. You know, if you're in a position of leadership, like be open to hiring people that are just, you know, afflicted, that are unseen. I know they might not be the best workers, right? It might be a struggle, but yet Christ asks us to do this. You know, if you're looking for ways to serve in the church, there's so many ways, right? There's Union Gospel Mission that serve the homeless ministry. Uh, in 2024, we're actually partnering with uh, um, a missions, or I guess as a nonprofit that actually Pastor Derek started 10 years ago, over 10 years ago. Uh, they serve the uh, lowest of the low in Cambodia. Right, you take the 20% that are the lowest in income and, and just in poverty, and then he, you serve actually the 20, he serves the 20% of that. So I don't know what that is. Not very good at math. Uh, but he's been doing that. And what they're doing is they're actually providing uh, just means for them to get educated. And it's actually through those means that actually families have come to faith because they're like, wow, like we didn't think that we could afford this. And yet he's been doing this, and we're going to just partner with them. He's going to share more about it. He's actually going to Cambodia in a few weeks. And next year, we're going to send a team. I was like, hey, I am passionate about this. Let's send teams. Let's get everybody on board. Like, this is a mission that I believe in. Let's do it. There's so many ways we can serve. In fact, if you don't see it, James would say you're looking in the mirror and you're just choosing to forget. Church, if you're in a spiritually dry season, maybe you just need to look and serve. Who are the widows and orphans in your life? You know, this is living out your faith. And there's this third command, and this won't be shorter. It's keep oneself unstained from the world, right? That's that last verse. Keep oneself un unstained from the world. Uh, you know, when the Israelites left Egypt, God commanded them, hey, don't worship idols. Right? He gave them this warning. He says, keep yourself unstained from the world. You know, today we don't have kind of the same idols, but we do have other idols, right? Money, sex, power. We worship these things. We're all worshiping something. And what scripture says is keep yourself unstained from it. Worship God alone. John Piper, a theologian, he says, we actually become what we worship. We become what we worship. And so if you are here and you want to have a passionate faith that is on fire for God, are you worshiping God or are you worshiping something else? You know, what I love about these kind of three uh, commandments that I've broken down, uh, they actually encapsulate the greatest commandment, loving others and loving God. Right, widows and orphans, serving them, bridling your tongue, that's loving others. And then keeping yourself unstained from the world, it's loving God. And it's no wonder when we do these things, your faith will come alive. All right, that's the first point. That's the longest one. The next two points will be shorter. The second point is this. It's the cost. You know, what's the cost if we do these things? And these are not all the costs, but one that uh, stood out to me was the cost is comfort. It's comfort. James is writing to the 12 churches that are scattered throughout Israel. Uh, the early church, they're scattered because they're in hiding. They're scared. They're being persecuted. And the temptation for the early church was to just continue remaining in hiding. In other words, the temptation was to just be comfortable. And he's telling them, he's spurring them on, no, don't be in your comfort. He's spurring them on to live out their faith. But here's the dirty little secret that you and I believe that you and I, we long for comfort, don't we? I long for comfort. You know, in our house, we have this thermostat. There's a comfort mode. It's like, I love setting it on that comfort mode. Like when you go in your car, 
There's some comfort setting. Even when you go on an airplane, like they, they kind of brand it like, oh, comfort. Comfort plus. The most comfortable, I don't know what the last one is, probably like first or business class, right? And we're actually wired that way, right? Comfort, what is comfort? It brings us safety, security. We don't want to be stressful. We want to be safe. We want things to be predictable. I actually asked ChatGBT, why do we want to be comfortable? ChatGBT, why do we want to be comfortable? And this is what ChatGBT said. Comfort is like a warm hug for your soul. It's like creating a little oasis of calm in the chaos of life. Who wouldn't want to kick back and enjoy the good vibes? I was like, hmm, that, that sounds comfortable. I was like, it's like a warm hug for your soul. I was like, yeah, it's exactly like that. And even in our faith, right, we want to be comfortable. Like, let's be honest. We want to be comfortable. Right, we come to church, but then like, we want the perfect times. Like, we'll serve, but we want it to be kind of perfect. Like, we'll go to a community group, but like, it's got to be at the right time. It's got to fit with my kids. It's got to fit with me. Like, we, we bring that comfort into our faith. But that's not what I read in the Bible. And so the question is, if you want to have a passionate faith, like you've got to be uncomfortable. Like following God's commandments, being his disciples, we got to give that up. We got to go against our natural instinct and sacrifice. And I know this, it's tough. Our natural instinct is to be comfortable. But let me tell you this, there's actually a cost of holding on to comfort as well. There's actually a cost. Even for non-Christians, uh, there's a lot of articles and resources, but one that stood out was, uh, it said this, is, comfort is actually a silent killer. It can rob you of valuable experience. It can steal genuine happiness. It robs you of your basic human need to be challenged and to grow. Now, isn't that true? Right? Even, think of an experience. Right? It doesn't have to be spiritual. Like whatever In your past life, like, imagine a moment or think of the moment where you really grew. Like maybe it's in sports or it's school, academics. I don't know what it is. You know, you probably describe that time as being tough, right? Scary. Or maybe it was really difficult, but it probably wasn't comfort. Right? If you really grew, it wasn't comfortable. And it's the same with faith. We have to be uncomfortable if you want to grow in your faith. And if you're holding on to comfort, no wonder. If you're not growing and you're holding on to comfort, like no wonder. And in fact, you actually might be limiting how God is working through you. Let me give you just a personal example of, of how this kind of played out in my life. Um, you know, I resonate with Moses in the Old Testament. You know, when God asks him to lead uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and then Moses gives this excuse like, I'm not very eloquent in my speech. And I was like, yeah, like, that's me. Um, I've been in ministry for many years, uh, and I'm willing to do almost anything for Jesus. But one of the things that scared me the most was actually public speaking. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, but you're speaking. I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm like dying inside. I'm just, you just see the, the good exterior. But I was really extremely nervous. Um, the first time I spoke, uh, it was in Boston. And uh, what I would do is I would actually carry this bag in my pocket because I just felt like throwing up every time. I was like, oh my God, I got to speak. I got to throw up. And so my first message, I remember, right before I went up, I actually just, threw, I, th I took the bag. I was like, ah. I was like, welcome to church, everyone. Uh, my name is Kenny. I'm here to just preach the word of God today. Like, and it was just this like anxiety-inducing experience. Today, I'm still anxious. I still feel like throwing up. I just closed my mouth and I just swallowed it this time. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. I don't do that. But I am anxious. Um, you know, but that's, that's an area of my life when I said, hey, I'm going to go into ministry, God. This is super uncomfortable for me. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? Like, I'm not really good at speaking. 
And yet I say, God, take this. Like, I'm going to give this to you. If you really want me to go into ministry, like, I'm going to give this to you. It's going to be uncomfortable. And so I did. And, you know, really, God has worked through me. And I don't say that to boast because I'm not a great speaker. I'm not articulate. There's so many things missing. And yet, you know, after speaking message, after doing a teaching, I've received emails. People have told me, like, how much they grew in faith. They were saved. Uh, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, this has to be the work of the Holy Spirit because that's not me. Like, I, I am actually terrible. Like, English, that was, that was my lowest grade. Public speaking, that was terrible. We have to give up our comfort if you want God to work through you. If you really want to grow, there's an aspect of giving up your comfort. And so the question is, what or where is God asking you to be uncomfortable today? Where is he asking you to give it up? You see, following Christ... It requires giving up our comfort. It requires sacrifice. It requires making these difficult decisions. I know, you know, if you're a parent here with young kids, like you're giving up your sleep, right, just to come to Sunday service. If you're a parent here and your kids are in activities, uh, there's this conflict that happens on Sundays, right? They have this like soccer game or baseball game, I don't know. Uh, and then it's like, okay, if they want to get better, they have to play more, but then I want to come to church. And there's just this constant tension going on. Like, I know, and I'm not telling you the answer, but there's this level of sacrifice that we need to give in order to grow in our faith, to make it alive. If you're, a, you know, a young adult in the tech world, you know, maybe you're just kind of scared to say, hey, I'm a Christian, or talk to a friend and just let them know, hey, I'm a Christian, and take them out to lunch and have that difficult conversation, which is just saying that you're a Christian. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just sacrificing these trips that you have lined up, right? You're like, okay, I work so hard. I have the funds now. I'm going to go on these trips. I don't know what it looks like. But I do know that living out your faith requires you to be uncomfortable. And that is how we can have a living faith. But there's a cost. There's a cost to it, right? That's our second point. You know, I want to tell you, uh, God is doing something special at our church. You know, I don't preach very much, but I see a lot. And, uh, you know, I say this because, you know, we have some of the best leaders. We have some of the best pastors, uh, elders. Uh, it's not perfect, right? You kind of, like, you know, we still have our blemishes. But I, I think we have some of the best pastors and leaders. And it's not because, you know, they're the smartest. It's not because they're the funniest. But it's actually because they're so faithful. And they're faithful in a way which I admire is that they're willing to give up their comfort. They're willing to give up their comfort to expand the kingdom of God. And so if you're here and you're checking us out for the first time, uh, maybe you're tuning in for the first time, if you're here, know that you're not going to be comfortable. You're not going to be comfortable here. We're going to ask you to serve. We're going to ask you to give. We're going to ask you to join a community group. We're going to ask you to go on missions. We're going to ask you to come to Sunday to worship, read your Bibles. And we're not militant. I don't want to guilt you about these things, but we firmly believe that this is the best way that you will grow. This is what the Bible commands us to do. And so we're going to push you in this area, right? If you miss a few, that's okay. But we care for you. We want you to grow in your faith. And if that is what you desire, know this is what you're getting yourself into. If you're not a believer and, and you're just, you know, you're, you're on this faith journey, you know, we don't expect these things. We're just glad you're here. We know we hope you can learn and grow. Uh, we are striving to really live out our faith, not to just be uh, Christians in lip service, but actually really, you know, do what the Bible says, and if you're struggling and you're still asking these questions, uh, this last point, point three, is actually more geared for you. And it's this. It's the carrot. Right? The carrot. I, you know, I, I tried to think of a C word that, that connected because I wanted three Cs, and I called it the carrot. Um, it's not very creative, but really, 
It's kind of that proverbial carrot on a stick. Like, what's really motivating us to do these things? What's motivating us to, uh, you know, give this cost up or, or give up our comfort? Uh, and I just want to highlight two things. And one is freedom, and then the other one is love. Freedom and love. So I'm just going to go to this really quick. Freedom, uh, verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the law, uh, into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, hears no hearer, um, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. So this is that man who looks into the mirror. Uh, that's the law. That's scripture. Uh, it's the perfect law. But it says actually, scripture is the law of liberty. What is he saying there? Uh, I think it's this. Have you ever built something without instructions? Like you just like didn't have the instructions. Like, I'm just going to build this. Probably all the guys here. Not the girls, right? All the guys are like, yeah, I'm just going to build this. I'm smart enough. Well, I tried doing that with our bunk bed in our, um, in our house. Uh, it took me like two, three hours, and I wasn't done. I didn't have the instructions. I was like, hey, I'm just going to continue doing this. Uh, but then it got, I don't know why they made the most trickiest bunk bed in the world. Uh, and I couldn't figure it out, like the latter portion. And then I was like, okay, I just got to look it up. And then it just like, 10 minutes, I was done. I was like, okay, this is all. I got to put the screw here. Well, I believe, we believe, if you're a Christian, the Bible is actually the instruction, the manual for how to live life. Right? What is religion? Tim Keller says it's a set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, who we are, and how we should spend our time. A set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, who we are, and how we should spend our time. You see, friends, I think we're on a quest to figure out, just answer that question. Like, what is life all about? How should we spend our time? And I believe, we believe, the Bible actually outlines that for us. And this provides a tremendous amount of freedom on how we are to do that. How are we to, how are we to get happiness and joy, meaning? And that's what it means. Just if you want a passionate faith, if you want to figure out what life is all about, you know, read scriptures, but do what it says. It's a manual to live out our faith and to make it alive. That's the first one. The last one is this. It's love. It's love. You know, we hear the word as Christians and we do what it says and it's because of love. And this is kind of the last illustration. I'll end with this. Uh, about a year ago, uh, I was just feeling extremely unhealthy, physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, on all fronts, right? Uh, you know, physically, like, I, I'm kind of a skinny guy, so I kind of hide it, right? Skinny fat, that's what they call it. But I was just unhealthy, believe me. Um, whether it's a pandemic, I don't know what it is, uh, but extremely unhealthy. And if I could be a little bit more vulnerable with you guys, it got to the point where I was actually taking anti-anxiety medication. And I was like, just this haze was overcoming my life. I was probably depressed. Uh, we were going to have our third child at the time. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to figure this out. Like, how am I going to raise these kids? Uh, so I talked to my wife, and my wife is a very action-oriented kind of, she's not going to coddle me. She's like, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel like doing anything. But I knew, like, I got to do something. I can't just live the same way and expecting the same results. Uh, and then so somebody I, told me, hey, I'm going to run a half marathon. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll just start running. I'm going to just start running. And so I started running. But that first run, it was so hard. I couldn't even run half a mile without stopping. It was so embarrassing. I was just huffing and puffing. I'm not 40 yet, but I can imagine now what being 40 and beyond looks like because I was like, oh my gosh, if this is like what it is now, like what's it going to be later? Like it's so hard. But, it, you know, after that run, I was like, okay, like I can kind of do this. I just got to keep doing this. And so I would run a little bit more, a little bit more, and I actually started feeling better, right? We all know like exercise helps you emotionally, mentally, 
And so I just made it a, a regular practice into my life. And I actually got off those anti-anxiety medications. Uh, and so, um, but you know, I, I could see myself kind of slipping. Like I'm a goal-oriented person, so I was like, I need a goal. And a half marathon, it's not gonna cut it. And so one person was like, hey, I'm running a full marathon. You in? And I was like, yeah, I'm in. Worst mistake decision of my entire life. <laughs> Uh, full marathon is like 26.2 miles. And I calculated, I mean, after the fact, like, okay, this is going to take me a long time. Uh, I calculated how long it's going to take. You know how long it's going to take me? You can watch Avatar two times. Like, that's how long it's going to take me <laughs> to run this whole marathon. So I was like, okay, I got to really, like, train for this thing. And so I've been running. I've been running throughout the weeks. And part of the training program is actually running kind of this long distance. There's these long runs. Uh, and on some of these long runs, like, you're just in a tremendous amount of pain. And on one of the runs, my first one, I remember uh, just my legs just hurt. And it wasn't, like, the good kind of hurting. It was like the, ooh, maybe I should stop. I ran on the Burke Gilman Trail over here. And on the trail, there's all, actually all these lime scooters. And I was like, maybe I should just take one of these and just go home. Like, that sounds really good. Uh, and you know, I had to just remind myself. I was like, "Why am I doing this?" Like, I went to the existential mode. Like, why am I doing? Why am I suffering doing these things? And it wasn't the spiritual reason that I came up with, but it was actually this. It was for my family. Like, I love my kids. I love my wife. Like, I need to be healthy for my family. Like, they depend on me. Like, I can't be depressed and in this tunnel. Like, I got to do this for my family. And, and so, I, you know, I just continued to run kind of in that pain. Like, I got to keep persevering through this. And throughout that run, actually, what ended up happening is I started thinking about it more and more. Uh, and then I just was like, man, like, I'm doing this for my family. And I was just convicted at a moment. I was like, man, this is actually what Christ did for me. Like, he went through this tremendous amount of pain, this tremendous amount of suffering. Like, he ran this race, right? He died on the cross, suffered a grisly death because he loves me. He loves me. And friends, I want to remind you of that. He loves you. He loves you. And what I love about the book of James, and what I love about the Bible, is it actually offers a painkiller solution on receiving this love, and it compels us to not be the same. Right? It compels us to move forward and to act on our faith. This is the reason why. And I know there's no amount of good works that can really save us. And that is the amazing message and news of the cross. I know we talked a lot about works today. James is actually talking to believers. He actually doesn't go against what Paul says, uh, you know, we're saved by grace through faith alone. They actually complement one another. But he's talking to the Christians who need to be spurred on. Hey, if you're a real Christian, there's actually the fruits of your life, and that's action. And so if you've been coming to church, if you call yourself a Christian, the challenge is simple today. My hope, my prayer is that you take that one step to be uncomfortable, to do what God calls you to do. And when you do that, I promise you'll develop a fiery, hot, passionate faith that is alive. That is alive. Amen? Church, we're going to uh, respond in worship at this moment. I don't know where you are in your faith journey. Maybe you heard this message and you're like, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I don't even feel like doing anything. And I challenge you just to surrender even that thought, that emotion to God. Surrender your desires. Surrender, you know, just commit the, hey, I'm going to do this one thing just to live out my faith. I know it's uncomfortable, but I'm going to try it. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit will continue to minister to you and challenge and convict you. And we're going to have prayer stations. Our sister Jessica Bay is going to be on the side. Just, you know, if you need prayer, we're there for you to pray with you. Not that we have all the answers, but we have a God that does. Amen.